Welcome to Iteration, a podcast about programming, development, and design. Hi, I'm JP, and I'm a software developer. Today, I am joined by John. John, how's it going? It's going good. Uh, I am also a software developer. I just feel like I don't even know if we should keep saying that we're software developers on People every know. intro. I guess they know now. They go. They know now. So what are we talking about this week, JP? Okay, so today we're going to be talking about... We're going to have a conversation that's basically uh, sparked because you and I were talking about Jira and project management tools. (laughs) And so I think in our last episode, we were like, why don't we just talk about Jira in our next episode? And this is one of the rare occasions where we're actually following up with an episode topic that we had mentioned in a previous podcast that we said we'd talk about. (laughs) And so we're just going to talk about Jira. And I think we should kick that off by... Uh, I think it does our listeners, um, it benefits them if we talk first about like what what Scrum is and what Agile is or yeah. what we perceive those things to be, <laughs> because we could probably be the blind leading the blind and not really know what we're talking about. But well, let's start there. Yeah, that sounds good. And to be clear, we're going to talk about Jira, but we're also going to talk about all the different tools of kind of project management software that you'll touch as a software engineer. So if you're just starting out or even if you're experienced, like I bet there's a lot of little nuggets in here, how to best use these tools and some of the pitfalls we found in them. But first, let's start high level, which is like Agile, Scrum, Scrum, Kanban, like these work methodologies, if you will. I don't even know what to call that, but I feel like at every kind of company I've consulted with or company I've worked at or projects I've been involved on, I feel like at some point there's a conversation on, are we going to be Kanban or Scrum or Agile? And what are those things? So Help me, JP. Which one do you want to start with and which one have you had most experience in? Let's start there. Which one have you had most experience in? Okay. Um, (laughs) God, that's such a hard question. I think I've had the most experience with some form of agile. Um, Mm. I've heard managers in the past call the workflow that that we've worked with agile light. Um, which I think means basically we do a little bit of agile, but we also do things our own way. Um, and agile, I guess, you know, there's like whole books on this. I think there's an agile manifesto, which would probably behoove us if we left a link to that. Um, but when you work with agile, you, you work in sprints and those sprints are broken down in like two week to three week, um, blocks of time. And you plan for those sprints and you have retrospectives on those sprints and the way that you, um, and the way that you break down work is through, uh, tickets and those tickets are pointed and there's a burn down rate. And I'm just, I'm just trying to spit as many words now, no, many words as possible. You're doing a good job. This is a, I set you up with a really hard curveball there because I think the fundamental problem in these things, Agile, Scrum, Kanban, in my experience, is most teams don't use any pure methodology. Methodology, And a lot of people I work with, it's like, yeah, we kind of do Agile, we kind of do Scrum, we kind of do Kanban. But let's talk about what is consistent through all these. So a few things that are consistent through all these different methodologies. It involves breaking up large deliverables into smaller tickets most commonly like a user story format. So as a user, I can sign in and post a comment on someone's picture. Like that would be a user story. And that's a unit of work that is to be delivered and planned against and planned against in kind of these tickets against 
So you break up the work into these tickets and a ticket usually has things like a user story, some context, some background. It might have a couple screenshots and suggestions on where this fits in and some like rationale behind it. Oftentimes a well-written ticket will have, this is the business metric we're trying to drive at a high level. Like we think if we have comments on photos, it'll make the product more sticky, which will lead to more revenue or X, Y, Z. And it's really nice when tickets like go all the way there. There's another concept on tickets that will have tickets or stories, whatever you want to call them, cards, sometimes in other methodologies. But this little, these little units of work, the other idea in there is story points. And a story point is generally kind of a score on how long it will take or how complex that task will be. And it really depends on who you work with on what those things will be. But I'm pretty sure Agile, Scrum, Kanban, they all have some kind of story pointing against them, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not sure. I think so. Maybe, maybe not. I'm pretty... Okay, so to clear this up, I'm pretty sure that Scrum um, is an Agile methodology. And Scrum... Mm. And, and like... Um, because you have things like a Scrum Master, right? And then so right. the Scrum Master right. might be like the person who's guiding the, the Scrum. Um, sure. And so... So, so we talked a little bit about story points, but to, to take a step back, the ultimate goal of these, these methodologies basically is to, to complete a task, right? So it might be your task to uh, increase top of funnel conversions, right? And so that might be like a high level metric. Now it's like, how do we get to um, delivering some software that might accomplish higher top of level conversion? that's where you sort of decide like, hey, do we go with like a Kanban thing or do we go with like a scrum thing, right? And so that's sort of like the end goal of these methodologies is how can we get software delivered, right? Yep, yeah. And ultimately, like this is all project management frameworks that are specifically optimized for a software team. But yes. it's really just kind of project management. You define what the end goal is, then you break up into deliverables and you plan those deliverables off, across a team and then make sure that they're going through. Now, I'm pretty sure that both Kanban versus or Scr Agile Scrum kind of have the same idea of blockers. So like you have some tickets are dependent on other tickets. And so you have this idea of being blocked. And that's kind of where the daily standup comes from to talk about like, well, where are you blocked to make sure that we can keep the entire project moving? Because if you think about building a house without the foundation poured, nobody can do any work. You can't lay flooring, you can't lay plumbing, you can't frame the house. And so the foundation is a blocker for the rest of the house. And of course, in software, you have tons of different, once you break up the work, there's tons of different opportunities for blocking tickets. And a lot of these different methodologies try to introduce ways to avoid those blockers or make sure there's really clear visibility on what are the blocking tickets and what are dependencies on those things. I don't know if that's too nuanced or not, but it's just like, I'm trying to want to like introduce the pros and cons here because I think for a lot of developers, especially if you're junior or starting out, this whole thing can sound like just a total mess and like a really weird way to delegate work. But working on the other side as an engineering manager, trying to assign work and make sure everything's done and having to think about things like blockers and roadmaps and investor promises and pitches, like it really helps to have that visual guide of the work broken down to an executable level and seeing where you're at and seeing where it's burning down. And the idea of burn down is you have a total amount of kind of story points you think something will take, which is adding up all the tickets. And it's based on how much time has passed, how many tickets have we completed? And can we kind of soft estimate, well, when this whole thing's going to be done? Because we finished 50 story points last week. We have 200 left. Okay, we've got about four more weeks to do, roughly. 
Um, yeah, I've been yeah. talking too long. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> okay, so what you just what you just touched on there, I'm pretty sure is specific to Scrum. So you wouldn't necessarily have something like a burn down for Kanban. So Kanban right. is is I think more loose, and it's kind of like just a mechanism for you to organize your your workflow and say like, hey, uh, we have these items in progress. We have these items completed. We have these items in our backlog. And you kind of just work on them iteratively, right? So both Agile, or sorry, both Scrum and Kanban is an iterative process. Mm -hmm. However, I think the big distinction between the two, at least in my experience or in my experience of how um, engineer, <laughs> how engineering managers, them, yeah, yeah implement how engineering exactly how engineering managers think about them is that Kanban doesn't necessarily have like a due date per se or yeah. like uh uh like very rigid start and end times it's kind of just like we have this big project let's break it down and we finish it roughly when we finish it i mean you'll have a target mm -hmm. in mind but you don't you're not confined by the bounds of two week sprints or three week sprints whereas scrum is like we have these very defined boundaries and we will move along in those like two or three week sprints. Um, and I think that's just because sometimes you might want to do a Kanban instead of a scrum because uh, maybe it doesn't make sense to try to complete eight story points in two weeks because you might be working on a really large feature, for example. Mm -hmm. So I've seen teams that are just like, hey, let's not do sprints. Let's do Kanban for a couple of weeks because we're working on this really large feature and it doesn't really make like, what's the point of breaking that into two-week sprints. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's a little I, bit of a, a distinction there, I think. Yeah, I think too, from what I've seen and in my experience, um, Kanban is better suited for ongoing maintenance and tweaks and like ongoing iterative development on something that is very much shipped. Where Scrum is a little bit better suited against a roadmap with those milestones and you are really pushing toward a specific goal on specific kind of milestones and you're kind of compromising as you go to meet that goal. And so I think for a lot of early stage companies, they do something that looks a little more like Scrum because you can plan against that roadmap, break into the story points, and you kind of know what you're going to get in two weeks in a lot of cases. And, and you push that forward. And I think I'm seeing this in this article, but the distinction as well is Scrum releases big batches of tickets. You have a big story pointing process and you release a bunch of new tickets and everybody plans and story points those and, and gets those. And then you like everybody burns down that batch of tickets where Kanban is just like next and the next one comes up next. And you just kind of pull new ones as the old ones complete. And there's this less this idea of this is the hot batch of work that's like in current process and we have a specific end date to it. But what's interesting, and both JP and I have touched on, is so many teams, and even our my team that I work in, like has this very strange amalgamation of these things. Like there's things that look like Kanban, there's things that look like Scrum, and because there's a lot of good ideas within each of these. And that's why I think it's good to just kind of talk about what is shared between all of them. And I think we've done a pretty good job about covering that. So I think it could be interesting to talk for a second about story points. I know you and I earlier were having a discussion about story points because each of these systems generally do have some idea there. So we're talking about this and essentially it's a number you apply to a specific task that gives some idea of an estimate on it, which, um, you know, I've seen teams treat that in terms of time, like, you know, three story points is a day or one story point is a day. So if something's five story points, it's a whole work week to complete that ticket. Um, 
And like, it's interesting too, because a lot of different teams use different scoring metrics. Like a common one is the Fibonacci sequence. So one, two, three, five, eight, 13, something like that. I probably got that wrong. Um, but from your experience, what are story points? What are some of the patterns they've used that you've worked with? What has worked? What hasn't worked? Yeah, I've only have ever worked with story points in Fibonacci. So as you oh, mentioned, okay. and, yeah. right. And it, and it goes in increasing levels of complexity. That's what people say, or that's what my teams have said. It's complexity, but it always ends up equating to <laughs> some amount of time. days to time. Yeah. Um, but I think it should be complexity because it's supposed to, I mean, Fibonacci is like exponential, right? Um, mm-hmm. So like in exponential um, complexity. So like a five to like, in theory, in my head, is way different than a three. It's not as if like you take a three and you take a two and combine them and that equals a five. No, it's kind of shouldn't. like a, it's kind of like a five is saying like, hey, this is way more complex than a three and a two. Like this is going to take some like hardcore brain power. Um, but I don't know. We were kind of joking about like whose line is it anyway. It's like this. It's like where the points don't matter, kind of a thing. And that's yeah. always what it ends up being because like you end up in this weird pattern, I guess, mostly as an IC, I would say as an individual contributor Mm -hmm. where you are inflating story points or you're picking up easy one pointers to make it look like you're doing a ton of work. Um, or you're, you know, making really simple things over pointed so that it looks like you're doing more work than you actually are. Um, you just make everything in eight. So you look like a rock star because you crush so many story points, brah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's yeah. And so it's like, uh, (laughs) It's a dangerous cycle, but that's sort of my experience with it. And I don't know. I, I don't really I don't really like it, but at the same time, it's it's a necessary evil. Yep. Kind of, I guess. Have I you know. seen different cause like when you are dealing with both of these methods, there's all these different user stories or tickets or tasks to be done. I have seen a lot of different and very creative prioritization methods to them. And there's usually some kind of prioritization methodology around those. Do you have any opinion on those? Seen ones that worked or ones that are comical? Because ultimately, like, I can't tell you how many times I look at the project board and there is eight P0s, like the oh, most okay. We're important. Talking about priority. Yeah. And I was like, there just can't be eight priorities. Like out of 10 tickets, you've made eight a P0. Like, fuck this. No, that's just not even, there's no logic there. So like I I will work with product and I'm like, you have two P zeros out of the 10 tickets. Like I'll give you that. There can be two priorities. Sure. Cause there's, you know, two coders available right now. Um, but I've seen like color coding. So it's like red, yellow, green as a prioritization system. I've seen, it's very common to see like P zero P one P two where the lower, the number is the higher priority. Have you seen any of these? Have, have any of they worked? Have you seen the similar thing where everything ends up being like double zero priority? Um, yes. In, in my uh, experience, it's usually P one is like number one pi- priority where P zero is reserved for like prods on fire. The server's oh, down. Okay. So like, like wake someone, up at 2am and fix it kind of. Issues. Yeah. So like if you are an engineer on call, it, and a P1 comes through, put it in the backlog. It's fine. It can wait. But if you're on call and it's 2 a.m. and a P0 comes through, that's like, unfortunately, you're waking up and you're fixing that P0. <laughs> like that's- Making a that's, cup of coffee. Yes. So that's that's the difference. Um, I've also have seen like Sev1, Sev2, Sev3. Oh, yeah, what, Sev. I've seen that too. Which is basically the same thing, but I also have just seen that exclusively for the context of like bugs where like mm. sev zero is like a p zero um all this stupid jargon just to um so much jargon I, I don't know but at the same time i've worked on freelance projects where there was no semblance of project management or priority mm-hmm. and 
at that moment, I realized like, oh, I see why these tools are valuable. I see why there's methodologies and why things like Jira and Trello exist. Um, yeah. Because without it, it's like a fucking nightmare. I couldn't agree more. And, and it's interesting because when I've done solo projects, I end up managing them this way, even when I'm the only person, because it's so valuable to break up your work and sequence it in that way and think through what needs to be done. I've often found finding myself sliding along cards on a project management board. It's like nobody's watching me. It feels a little bit funny. I do the, Kanban the other thing, personally. You do Kanban. Okay, that's funny. And, and we'll talk more about like the specific formats and tools in a second. But the other thing, like these kind of concept that all these methodologies share is a backlog as well. And I'd love to talk about backlogs for a second because I have a personal like loathe for backlogs. And I can't tell you how many projects I've worked on with clients from the agency days where they would just add tickets to the backlog just again and again and again. And I would, I, at one point I had something like 300 GitHub, GitHub issues that were a backlog for a client. And we were crushing like three issues a week. So like quick back of the napkin math, it's like, we're going to be doing this backlog for four years if we don't have anything else to do. Like there's no way we'll ever get through this. And I remember like one day just like emailing the client closing anything that had been over six months stale. And like, if we haven't touched or thought about in six months, like that's so stale. I'm sorry. I actually think I did three months. I did something really aggressive and like I straight up like closed. It was like 240 of the 300 issues. It's just like, there's no way that this stuff matters anymore. And it's been sitting in the backlog and I could only imagine what an organization like a Google or a Facebook has in terms of like a, just a massive backlog. Do you have an opinion on backlogs? Have you seen things that work? What was the backlog like at some of the places you've worked out of curiosity? Um, when I was at Open Listings, our back we just used GitHub issues and and a, wow. and a combination of that and ZenHub. Um, and when I got there, I was like, why the fuck are there like 300 issues? And oh. they were just like stale issues from like 12, 14 months ago. And it was funny because there there was a bot on GitHub. Like, you know, how you could have GitHub bots and actions and stuff that yeah. like do stuff to your repos. There was like a stale bot. I forgot what it was called exactly, but it would <laughs> automatically close issues over nine months old. And I was like, how is that not aggressive enough? Like, why is this not closing tickets older Three than months two at months? Most. Yeah, two months. Like, come on. Like, who, like, is there, a, the code, especially because we were doing some form of scrum right or some some yeah, form of yeah. agile so we were iterating a lot the code is changing a lot um between like 10 to 12 engineers how is it possible that a ticket from eight months ago is still relevant <laughs> still relevant it's yeah. just not you can even um, add so, to that bot like if there's more than three comments like keep it open because like okay maybe there's if some active engagement on it or if right, there's right, any right. kind of because there's conversation happening like maybe it is more significant but it's just like someone posted something and they're probably not even with the company anymore at that point nine yeah. months that's fucking crazy it's interesting because like github not github uh Basecamp has this whole thing of just like kill the backlog don't keep any backlog and I really like that. And I want to go all that way because like their, their idea is if it's important enough, someone will think of it again. And like, there's not that much value in having this big running list of a bunch of shit that you want to do someday. If it's not on the forefront of your mind, it's probably not that important. And that feels so sloppy, but there's something about it that is really intuitive. And I think is really true. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've had someone tell me we need a feature on the current project I'm working on. And I always send them the backlog link. Like it's been there, but those people don't know it's in the backlog. So I've had at least 12 different, completely different stakeholders be like, where is feature X, Y, Z? And I'm like, it's on the backlog. Like here's the ticket for it. And they're just like, 
If I didn't have that ticket, though, I would have people bother me. So I like I don't need the backlog in practice. It's not a valuable asset. In fact, like it's a terrible liability because it's really easy as a manager to look at that and be like, well, this is six months old. We should do it next. Like for some reason, the age of it gives it some kind of gravitas that it doesn't deserve. It doesn't mean I had a thoughtful thought six months ago or whoever wrote that. So I don't have a good, healthy relationship with backlogs. I tend to just keep them as short as possible. I do an every 30-day purge. I do that semi-consistently. But to me, if something's older than 30 days, I close it without even digging into it, generally. I'm very happy and ready to do that. Because um, it's it's not important. It's, it'll come up again. It's funny. At my last, I think, two places ago, we had a backlog and a prioritized backlog. So if it was in the prioritized backlog, it's likely those tickets would be groomed um, fairly uh, quickly into the next sprint. Mm. So it's like, if you have the prioritized backlog, it might be, I don't know, a pool of 20 or 30 tickets. And the next sprint might pull in, I don't know, uh, 10 to 12 of those tickets. And then so you would pull from the backlog into the prioritized backlog every now and then. <laughs> it's like a Kanban of backlogs. Like it would go from the backlog to the prioritized backlog to a sprint, which I think is kind of funny that you need like a project management tool for the backlog itself. But the backlog was just like this <laughs> 400 nasty, crazy like pool of tickets that it's like, why are any of these things even here? And I get why it takes so much time to groom backlogs and that's because you need a project management tool for the backlog itself, which sounds ridiculous. So, um, we're going to talk about the different tools now. That's so funny. Project management tool for the backlog itself. So let's talk about specific tools. So all these tools and all these methodologies, what they do is I talked about, they take a larger deliverable and they break it down to smaller issues so you can delegate the work and share the work. That's really at their heart, what they're trying to do. Um, the biggest name in the game is Jira. I think that'll probably be the title of the episode because every developer on the planet's probably worked with Jira at one point. I've only worked with it once and it was my very, it was my second or third software like consulting gig when I was first learning. And I had to do this like weird JavaScript thing for this WordPress company. And it was like a one-time project. So I had like two tickets in all of their Jira. And I just remember thinking, what the fuck is this? And it was so... <laughs> So like hard to use. And I, like, I had to open my GitHub issue in a very specific on my, my pull request with a very specific name that matched the Jira ticket. And like they had this whole long doc on how to use Jira properly. And oh, my God, it was this whole thing. Have you used Jira? Do you have an opinion? I feel like no one likes it. Uh, I actually I feel like project managers like it and yeah. engineering managers like it, but no ICs like it. That's what I feel like about from what I you know, know in the industry. You know what? I actually didn't mind it because I might even go as far as to say I kind of liked it. And that it's a very controversial thing. I feel like developers, for some reason, always have to have a strong. I don't feel strongly about this, by the way. I just think it's a a tool. I didn't have to set up. I know people that bitch about it because they're like, oh, Jira is such a pain in the ass to set up and you have all these Mm. configuration things. But I didn't set it up personally. So I thought it. So I thought it was fine. But I also had people around me that knew how to use it. So I would just poke them be like, how do I do this? And they'd be like, do this. (laughs) And so it was like not a big deal. In fact, I thought Jira was easier to use than Pivotal Tracker for some reason, which Mm. might be a crazy controversial thing to say. But it's just one of those things that developers for some reason love bitching about and, and arguing about much like using 
a dark theme or a light theme sure, or li- sure. or like tabs and spaces. It's like I just think people like arguing about things, and that's one of them. Because in my experience, it it was like not bad, and I and I it was like a good way to manage a project. Was it like kind of like a, using a chainsaw to cut a cake? Maybe, but it was it was also just fine. I mean, it wasn't bad nor good. I don't know. Yeah, I I do know that it's just a really big product. Like, so specifically, and it depends on how it's configured, because a lot of companies will do things where you can only move a ticket through a very specific workflow. So when you do this step, you have to assign it to this person next. So for example, you did the initial design, you have to assign it to this team of devs. And then those team of devs, whoever gets it first in the like round robin rotation, it goes to them. And then when they complete their step, it has to go to this QA workflow. And I think Uh. because that it depends on the company you work for, like how intense that workflow becomes. Um, Like I knew a guy who worked for Red Hat and I think it was Red Hat. So it's just like a huge engineering org. And there was just like eight different steps for any ticket. So if you wanted to like change the config of a simple file or like do a one line change, it still had to go through this entire workflow. And at a certain point, it's just like, this is so everybody in this workflow can admit this isn't necessary. And yet we're still having to like pass the fire brigade bucket for this one fucking change. And I think it's when you get a really large org, it gets more and more painful, but I don't know. So let's move on from Jira, which is a really big one on the other end of the spectrum, I would say is Trello, which is like very lightweight in terms of its feature reach and how complex it is. And also like it doesn't provide a ton of guardrails like it lets any user kind of do anything where Jira, like a low level developer can't fuck up Jira. Like they can only do so much in it where I've been on some Trello boards where like one contractor comes in and shuffles everyone cards and like totally fucks <laughs> shit up for everybody. Um, okay. So, so, okay. So I'd like to point out though that yeah, these first two are, it's kind of funny that we're talking about these two first because when you say scrum, I think Jira instantly because there's story points, there's burn down, mm-hmm. there's um, it's designed there's very much for Scrum, yeah. Yes, and when you say Kanban, I'm like, oh, that's Trello. Like I mm-hmm. used to think that Trello invented was Kanban. Like, was yeah, Kanban. I totally agree with you there. But I didn't know that Kanban inv- was invented a thing. by Toyota in Japan, uh, Toyota Manufacturing. Yeah, um, yeah, it's really funny you say that, and I think that's a really good call out because the tools are. I think you can do Kanban in Jira, and you can do like you can do either one and either, but I think by default, like Jira is very much the scrum tool and Trello is the Kanban board. Like everybody knows it that way. Even the way that it has Trello doesn't really enforce a workflow. It's like kind of like, yeah, we'll get to it. It's like a little bit more of the cool kid in the group. You can do custom backgrounds and it's just right, like, right. you know, it's like kind of easy going as, as a project management tool. And Trello, and I'll actually, I'll throw Asana with Trello because Trello and Asana are used a lot in coding and technical teams, but they're not necessarily exclusive to tech in that I've been on a lot of just like design teams or just general project management teams that use those two tools. And they're not necessarily optimized or only for coders, but they can work for coders. So they're more just project management tools in general, which there's a whole world there like Rike and Monday and all that bullshit. I've used all these because I would work with so many con- like uh, different companies as a consultant and every company wanted me using their project management tools. So I feel like I've used every one of these project management tools generally. But I think if you have a smaller team, something like a Trello is awesome. Like if you're three or four developers, I think you can solve most of this methodology and clarity on who's doing what with something like Trello or Asana. I think they're great tools. Yeah, that's why I was like super happy when GitHub introduced 
like a Kanban board within their projects because it's literally just how I would use Trello. Like for personal mm-hmm. projects, I need some form of project management and like I just need swim lanes and I need cards and I need like a like in progress completed and then also like a backlog. And so it's That's like- That's a really good call out too. And I think groups well with Trello and Asana in a really good project management tool. And I think it's way underutilized. Like, I, and let's like call that out kind of as a semi-pick in the middle of the episode, which is like GitHub Projects is a really pretty powerful and robust tool. You can kind of slide your issues along custom swim lanes and, and kind of manage it like a Kanban board. And it works really, really well. I think some of its pitfalls is- you know, there's there's not as good kind of um, I would say like auditing or commenting. Like you, it relies on the issues, which is good to yeah. some degree, but it's a little bit different of a tool than an Asana or Trello, which is like okay, JP moved this from in progress to started. It's not like the same transparency there on GitHub projects. But I do think it's a good call out, and I I also think like realizing most of the open source world just builds in GitHub. That's clearly a successful project management tool to some degree. And so there's nothing wrong with just running your entire thing on GitHub issues. You said at one of your companies you worked, they just ran on GitHub issues plus um Zenhub. Zenhub. So talk to me about Zenhub then. What's what's Zenhub? Okay. So where GitHub uh projects is lacking is you can't have story points mm-hmm. and basically that's all Zenhub gets you is it, it basically is like a takeover. It's like a JavaScript takeover where you add an extension uh, because I'll sign in. But what it does is it, it assign, you can assign each issue story points and then also see a burn down. So it just adds a small layer on top. And I say small layer, but there's actually like a lot of JavaScript bullshit going on to make that happen. Um, but it's literally just that it just makes it so that it's like, I would say that, um, GitHub project is like Scrum light and mm-hmm. Zenhub makes it into like Scrum True regular. True Scrum. Yeah, Scrum yeah. regular. Zenhub is such a weird product. We actually used it in our agency for a little while. It was like two or three months before we actually switched over to using Notion. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But Zenhub, I just like was never really comfortable with how it fundamentally worked. Like as a developer, it's such a hack because essentially- right, it's a hack. <laughs> it's a hack because- it's a Chrome extension that you use GitHub on that adds some more like project management features to GitHub. And it just always felt weird and it never felt great, but it, it did work. It worked. It added that layer and it was fine. So I have never used this one and I've heard very mixed things and I'm curious. So Pivotal Tracker, where does it fall on the spectrum of like really big tool like Jira versus like pretty lightweight tool like Trello? Where do you put it on that kind of spectrum? Because I think you've used it in one of the companies you work for, right? Yeah, I, I use it at a company that I worked for very briefly and I would, I would put it in the middle because- okay. There are a lot of integrations, so you can have like a Slack integration that notifies you every time your something is uh, commented on, and you could if you if you commit a branch or if you like name a branch a very specific way and commit that up to GitHub, it will track along with it with the ticket so that you know when like something was pushed up to GitHub or when something was merged, and it will like move it across like the the it's not cool. a swim lane, it will move it across a thing. But where Pivotal Tracker is very different is that it's very much geared towards a specific way to do agile and to do scrum Mm. because the way that it's laid out visually is specific for sprints like two week sprints like in jira you can arguably use jira for kanban which is like kind of not what it's meant for but like you can't use you can't really use pivotal tracker for kanban it's like very specifically for agile development 
And we all know that Pivotal Labs is like big on agile development and things like that and iteration. Um, yeah, I, I kind of lie on the side of like, I hate Pivotal Tracker because it just breaks my brain because I've used, I think it's just because I've used Trello and I've used Jira and I've used Asana and I've used everything else before this. And it was like such a paradigm shift in the way that I think about project management that I was bugging my manager literally every every month for the first like two or three months. And like with a, with a Jira or Asana or Trello, it's like after like a couple of days, I just get it. But Pivotal for some reason for me, I just like could not get it because it's a very it looks, specific way. Yeah, it looks really different. Like I'm looking at the interface and the screenshots because I've never even logged into this tool. I feel like I've used the hell out of most of these. But what's interesting, I'm seeing like on each ticket, there's this idea of start, finish and deliver a ticket. Oh yes, that's why Which it is- broke my brain. Talk to me about that. That's so interesting. So instead of like marking it is in progress, you like explicitly click start. That's just weird. Okay. So each ticket has a state and it's just a very different visual because when you think about a Trello or a Jira, you're like dragging cards around. You're dragging them from one swim lane to the next. And that makes sense because swim lanes have a visual hierarchy, right? Yeah. But the difference between... um that kind of like swim lane paradigm and something like pivotal tracker is that the states are just captured on the ticket itself in the form of a button in the form of it, like that has a different color. So each ticket has to go through the exact, um, doesn't have to go through the, through the flow yeah, sequentially, yeah. but like it's just a different way. So when you get a ticket, it's, it's unstarted right or it's i think it just doesn't have a state but it has to be started <laughs> it has to be assigned um and it has to be pointed before it gets started interesting huh. or at the very minimum it has to be pointed and then it goes from started or unstarted to started to finished to uh in review or something like that reviewed to like, maybe yeah reviewed and then you can either accept or reject it or sorry i think accept reject comes before delivered so mm, right it, right so like here's here's an example so i i submit a pull request and uh that gets that gets merged and so once it gets merged it's now in accept reject so my code is like actually in the code base it's in master this is at least how my previous company would do it and so now it's in this this ticket still exists but it's in accept reject. And if for whatever reason, um, there's a bug that comes back, your product manager or whatever, project manager will hit reject and you have to like start the ticket over again. But your code's already in master. So like you, th- this might be coupled with um, like a Git flow or something like that, but you basically like yeah. do the ticket all over again, which is also kind of a weird thing because like in these other tools that we've used, in my experience, at least as an IC, you don't commit the code and the code, your code isn't in master until like the ticket is closed out. So, right. so this promotes like a different level of iteration because like you're constantly iterating and you might even be, you might even have Interesting. like code in master four or five different times before like the ticket is actually closed out and completed. There's so parts that's of that, of that I like rambling. because I do feel like in, in, in my current company, when I assign a ticket, so many times that ticket gets shipped. And then the first thing I do when that ticket shipped is open a new ticket for follow-ups on it. Right, 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 right. Because it's like, like from a pragmatic standpoint, like, is this better than the current state? That's always my question as an engineering manager. Like, does this improve the features and the code base for my users? Then I ship it. I merge it to master. I deploy it. But at the same time, like, is there opportunity for more? 
yes. And then I open a follow-up ticket. I, I would say probably like 20% of the tickets that I like see and merge to master and approve, 20% of them, I immediately open a follow-up ticket for other improvements that like didn't make the cut or I feel like you're still needed, but aren't essential to deploy. So I kind of like that iterative process because I can think of a ticket off the top of my head that I've had three cycles through of opening a new set of ticket against it to like try to improve that product. And it, I don't know, maybe it would have made sense to keep that same ticket like through that life cycle and just kept it spinning. So that's kind of interesting. Um, you know, one that I have used, and I've seen a couple other organizations who do this, uh, I use Notion, which is like a newer kit on the block, and it's not designed to do any of these methodologies. But I think to some degree, that's an asset because we use the custom, there's kind of two parts of Notion. There's the custom documents piece, which is kind of just a Google Doc. And then there's the other part, which is the custom databases. And what's nice is like every item in the database has this Google Doc on it. So that can kind of stand for the living kind of representation of what should be built. So we actually just built our own ticketing system using Notion custom dashboards. Um, so custom databases. So we have a projects database, and then we have tasks database and every task is associated with a project and it's fine i would say it worked really really well with our smaller team when we were like three or four devs it was really great and like we had less projects but now that that team is rapidly growing like we're at eight we're going to be 12 soon and now that there's more projects it's just a mess it's a mess and i'm, I'm looking for another tool which is half the motivation for this episode just to kind of talk through different pros and cons and look at different tools but i think if you're a smaller team it's really worth looking at because it's nice to be able to craft the exact data fields you want to see um and like how you want to manage the workflow which is pretty cool um I guess I'll do this last special mention. It's a product I stumbled on that I'm really excited about. It's called canny.io. And what this is, is it lets your users give you a backlog and like vote up different feature suggestions, which I think is really interesting. So you link it to your OAuth. And so they just click, they just like, it'll be a little button that says like submit features or ideas. And then they are logged in with their account. So you can associate what users are suggesting what based on their account data. And then they can just submit stuff. And it's this kind of Reddit style of board where other users can easily upvote, downvote, and even like your support team can start to add tickets there and like upvote and link support tickets to them. So it's like, yeah, this has been requested a bunch of times. And I kind of like this idea that without any effort from engineering manager or product manager, there's just this kind of running list of wish lists from the customers that's kind of auto prioritized. I like this idea. And there's a couple other startups doing this. I think that could be a really like interesting idea to maybe kill the internal backlog and just lean on this to kind of be somewhat of a product roadmap in a way. It's kind of interesting. That's cool. I've seen Canny be used mostly for open source projects. And mm. I've personally have been in threads that are like, please, please, please. <laughs> Actually, in fact, Expo, that React Native client oh, yeah. was, was Canny. on Canny. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure I was like, dude, can you please upload this WebRTC thing so I that did. they could finally work you. on it? Yeah. I think it I had like the most upvotes at one point. Yep. That's so funny because I feel like I, I just found Canny two months ago, but you're right. I've used Canny like three years ago, I think, when we we're upvoting that expo issue. That's so funny. Uh, we'll mention a couple new kids on the block. This one was called out last week. It was my pick, Liner App. Linear App. I'm sorry, I mispronounced that. Linear App looks really good. It's a new one on the block. Height App. Um, it's in private beta, so you got to be a cool kid to use that one. And I mentioned the other one before, but like there's Rike, Monday. There's this whole like class of project management software. I think everybody's like seeing what Basecamp does in terms of like making really good money on the internet. And it's like, want some of that lunch. So I think there's a whole new class of project management software, especially post COVID everybody's remote. Everybody's looking for the right tool that fits their company's workflow. So there's, there's a bunch out there. So uh, yeah, 
Um, Basecamp's one of them too. That's that shouldn't we can't yeah, we can't camps. just gloss over that because that's like no, the definitely. OG project management tool. You know what's funny is my first job ever, like outside of college, I was working at this small marketing company as a designer, and we actually used Basecamp as our project management tool, like in 2013. And I just remember um, it was like so old looking. It was like you could tell this thing was made in like 2000. The design is like definitely from 2012. Yeah. And I just yeah. remember going to Basecamp a couple of years after that and being like, what happened to this tool? Like they revamped the entire UI. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It's just a fun, fun little mention that Basecamp is actually like one of the original project Definitely. management tools. I, I, they're the first one that I ever used for sure. I think Basecamp and Asana are been the really long time around because I think Asana started just after a few years after Basecamp. Um, but it's like, I remember the versions of those being very different and you're totally right. Like my first, like but when I wasn't even a coder, I was doing graphic design. I was like, I worked for a church doing graphic design and I was like in their base camp, like completing right, tasks. Right. And yeah, it's really fun. And I remember because we switched from, I think it was base camp one to base camp two. And I was like, ooh, like this is so fancy. <laughs> it's so much better. Do you know how, this is a quick rabbit hole. Do you know how base camp, like what their product methodology is in terms of shipping new features and iterating on it? I don't. I imagine okay. that there's some cool non-scrum like thing. Well, there, so there's this book that they have, which is... um shape up which is a really great book on like how to do product development but broader than that they actually you can go use Basecamp one still they have this methodology of they will always support their products to the end of the internet and they kill their product fully and fully rebuild it in every major version so Basecamp one, two, and three are still online and they don't force users to move. They provide a way to move to the new product, but you don't ever have to move. And they still maintain all those That's products. That's cool. It's really cool because like they feel like it's a contract. Like you signed up for this product, you developed your company's workflows around it. Like we're not going to pull the rug out and force you to upgrade just because we don't want the maintenance burden, which is like fascinating to me. But huh. what I love about it from like a product standpoint is just that clean start. Like they just started working on Basecamp 5 and like DHH tweeted or mentioned on a podcast. He's like, yeah, I just did the Rails new for, for Basecamp 5. And it's like, could you imagine how freeing that would be to just like reapproach these same domain concepts with a completely fresh start? I fucking love that. And I even on my current project, like I've thought about that in the future at some point, just calling like, okay, that's version one. It's done. We're starting fresh for version two. Like I believe in iteration and they do iterate within it. Like they've been iterating on Basecamp 4 for the last five years. But at a certain point, it's like, this is done. We've hit our limits of what we can do with this. And it doesn't make sense to just keep around all this legacy shit. And I, I think it's incredible. Wait, do you think, hold on, is Basecamp 1 running on Rails 6? Yeah, no, they they don't. Uh, I don't know. I should we should find that out. That's an interesting question. I don't know the answer to that. I do know they maintain it from a security and performance standpoint. Like they right, actually, right, right. so it have to be because if you're running Rails three or four, like that's a terrible security vulnerability. It must be upgraded. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. They, that's they, the reason that they have major. They're responsible releases. for Rails, but like when I think about the productivity of that fucking team, like they build Basecamp, hey, and support every old version of their app still live. Like that is absolutely incredible. I just, I continuously flabbergasted by that team. I, I'm a fanboy. All right. We should probably close this conversation and move into picks. What do you say? Anything yeah, to kind it. of cap off our scrum Jira ticketing conversation. Okay. If you were to scrap everything, nuke the entire 
your current workflow and start from scratch kind of you know in the in the same in the, in the essence <laughs> of like us starting over <laughs> what what tool what tool would you pick and why and give me like a couple reasons why how big's my team mm, let's say anywhere between 10 and 20 okay uh definitely a more structured tool my first instinct would be either jira or this new kid on the block linear app I hate admitting that, but as a manager, being able to see, like the reason I would is because I can force a little bit of a workflow. I'd be very careful on how much I did that, but I can say like, hey, when this moves this, it moves to this phase and kind of auto assigns to this next person. I've been working in a very open-ended workflow and you know, people not like realizing something didn't ship because someone forgot to change a status on a database field is like, come on, that that just sucks. And so something that helps the development team keep a card moving. I think the other one is something that helps me roadmap and then ladder back that roadmap down to individual tickets and then track the roadmap's progress. And so inherently it's got to be a little more complex. And so that's why I would stay away from something like Trello um, or something like Notion like I'm using now. I need something that's a little bit more intention, purpose-built, has story pointing built in, burn down built in, and some roadmapping built in. So I would answer probably either Jira or the linear app for those two reasons. And I think if they're implemented well, they don't have to be burdens on your development team. I think it's mostly about the way that they're implemented from this very draconian and lack of trust standpoint. I think you can implement with them a little bit more of an an open hand and they can work pretty well. So that's my answer. What about you? Okay, I'm gonna, you you kind of gave the answer implicitly from an engineering manager, tech lead. I know, uh, because that's who I am now. I hate admitting that. But that's fine. So I'm gonna give you my answer as from a from the perspective of an IC. And so personally, I would prefer in an ideal world to just use GitHub because it's the tool that I commit my code to. It's where I submit my pull requests. And um I like that in my pull request I can type in closes hashtag oh, so nice. one two three and it will close the issue. Um and I just love that. I want that kind of integration built into the tool. And I know that there's mm-hmm. ways that you can close They're all a hack, Jira tickets. They're yeah, all but a it, hack. exactly. It feels like you have to do this whole thing. And I hate having another tab open to see the ticket. That's like when I could just be in GitHub and I'm like a power user. So I know how to use GitHub and do all the hotkeys and all that cool stuff. But like oftentimes, you can't have that because the, you know, the team's too big or whatever. But, um, and I get why, because there's no story points. And I get why, like, you might not want to use a GitHub, but if I can make that happen, um, that's what I would like like to do Damn, just from I an mean, individual perspective. There's a there's a good argument to make for that, and like to me, it's like, well, if the entire Rails project can run on GitHub issues, why can't my product? Like, wow, never thought of it that way. Like, like why can't my product to some degree? It's it's really hard though to let go of this idea that you I feel like I have some sense of control with a roadmap and some sense of clarity on like how much output and effort is being put in with story points. But honestly, both those things are kind of bullshit because roadmaps are guesses and story points are don't matter. Like it's all made up and the points don't matter. So man, maybe I need to let go and just use GitHub because I think that that is a really strong case to be made for using GitHub. I love that it's async first, like some of the world's largest open source projects run on it successfully. So like it is enough, obviously, like Rails continues to iterate, like every major open source project needs to operate. But I do think there's probably some open source projects that use like a Trello under the hood. I I wonder, I should should look into what open source does a little bit more. Okay, but okay, I will say the caveat to that though is um, 
I feel like GitHub might be more intimidating for non-engineering people to use. So for example, yeah, no, they can't at all. (laughs) Like like people on in like the marketing team, for example, are just like, I don't know how to use like they're scared to make tickets or they just like don't want to use it where it's like not as inviting for some reason. And so like they end up bugging engineers and telling them every time. So, you know, there's uh, there's trade-offs. Yeah, because some of these tools have like a friendly way to add to the backlog, which I think is a, a really good asset that can't be ignored. Okay, awesome. Let's jump into picks. What do you got, JP? Okay, so my pick is this article um, by Martin Fowler, who is just an amazing engineer and writes great blog posts on software-related topics. And it's basically about feature toggles. We'll drop a link in the podcast description. But um, it's basically like, how do you def- how do you implement a feature toggle slash feature flag in your app in a way that's not super imperative. Um, this pick is kind of inspired by one of our conversations offline about like, how do you make feature flags not shitty with an if else yeah. just slapped mm. all over the place in the middle of my code. <laughs> and so I think this article is a good, uh, a good read for how you might implement that better. I agree. And I think this article was a great read too, just thinking about abstractions and like really useful abstractions. Um, like because feature flags is a very complicated concept. And I think the way that Martin Fowler was able to unpack like the slowly building on these abstractions he creates to make it make more sense and clean up your code was really articulate. And honestly, like that's what makes Martin Fowler Martin Fowler. So I think it's a good read, even if you're not interested in building a feature flag and just a good architectural design. I've I've got two picks, so I apologize. My first is Superbase. All about that Superbase. I think it's a funny name. Um, it is open source Firebase. So it's the open source Firebase alternative. I played with this for like very short amount of time. Um, but it's it's very much one of those backends as a service that gives you that API endpoints with real time subscriptions for like GraphQL stuff. Very cool. I just I it's it's really cool. It's backed by Mozilla. I've I've talked with a couple developers who swear by it for like spinning up awesome side projects. And any time that I can like take something away from Google and push it to open source or just to a smaller better company. Um, and I feel like the product so much as I interacted as a technical person was very immaculate. So I was very impressed with Superbase. I think it's worth calling out if you're like looking for something like Firebase, if you do a lot of GraphQL stuff, um, I think it's really interesting. My next one is this article that a recruiter sent me, actually, a recruiter I've been working with to try to hire good tech. And it's called the Recruiter Honeypot. And it's this fascinating read about this recruiter who made a fake profile on LinkedIn and a fake GitHub profile and absolutely like cataloged how shitty recruiters are on LinkedIn. And it's fascinating. So the title of the article is the Recruiter Honeypot. So like he put up this fake profile of this person who is a self-described JavaScript nun javascript ninja pete london and like made up startups that he wrote javascript for and it's just such a fun read and i feel like very creative of the recruiter to like realize what his competition is doing like he put himself in the he put himself in the shoes of a developer to realize like what the reach outs look like and if you're listening to this you probably get those constant linkedin notifications just like hey you know we've been thinking you'd be a great fit you wouldn't believe we have this dynamic startup it's just like oh my god i know you have Lacroix in the fridge i don't care like it's too (laughs) much but it's just a really fun read. And I, I feel like the way he thought outside the box, or she, I think it's a woman who wrote it. The way she thought outside the box of just like coming up with a way to 
kind of reconnaissance on what her competition is doing and like tried to solve the problem from a whole different angle was so fascinating. And I, I loved it. I got a really a good kick out of that read. So those are my picks. They're all linked in the show notes. Cool. Sounds good. I need to read this after we hang up this call. I got <laughs> yeah, it. It's such a good read. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Hope you found this helpful in the new year here and uh, we will see you on the next episode. Thanks a lot. See ya.